Junai. He was just writing a letter to his friends. Later on, they decided it was actually inspired of God. He was just a dude like you and me writing to other people. And so we take it at face value. This is really important for a lot of you who grew up with the Bible. You sit there and think that like there was someone like with a pen and pad of paper or something, not really a pen, you know what they're writing with. And they're like, okay, Jesus, now speak. Oh, and they write it out. No, it was just a person writing a letter. He had no idea it was like literally inspired of God. It was just a letter to his friends. Something he thought was really important. It was birthed out of prayer. It was birthed out of the heart of God, right? Really seeking the Lord in this. But it wasn't like he was like, I'm going to write the words of God to you, right? He just says, hey, how are you? What's going on, right? So he says, listen, guys, I want you to recognize you're human beings like me. And so God, take it at face value. I just want you all to recognize that God, who's fully divine and has, therefore, divine power, has granted or given to you all things the great word here is everything literally mean everything nothing lacking he's he's given us everything that we need and life here does not mean existence it means abundant life the fullness of life right the the life that jesus when jesus says i've come that you might have life and to have it to the full he's talking about the life like he experienced it So Peter's writing here saying, guys, God's already given you everything you need, everything pertaining to a Jesus-style life and to be godly through your knowledge of him. So take it at face value. Like this week I read this verse, like hopefully all of you did, and I was wrecked by it. I sat there for like an hour in one verse, just like, Ah, oh, Jesus, in your divine power, oh, you've given me everything. There's nothing lacking pertaining to the fullness of life that looks like Jesus. I've got to confess, Lord, like I want to believe that. But my life experience isn't necessarily like I'm godly, right? And so I recognize, but I'm living in this. I'm meditating, I'm focusing on it because this is huge. When I look in Ephesians 1, Paul says a very similar sentiment in verse 18 and 19. He prays. He says this. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. He's praying things he knows to be true, that he wants them to know that is true. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you would have divine understanding, right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will, verse 19, know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. He said, listen, guys, I want you to recognize that God's power is with you, but you don't know it. His divine power has given you everything you need pertaining to a Jesus life and godliness through your knowledge, right? I'm praying that your eyes would be enlightened and know the divine greatness of his power towards you. And so I want you this morning to live with this. I just want you to like stop. I want you to pretend like we're not at church because I think people go to church sometimes. They just don't listen. They just like, right? I've been here before, done this before. So pretend like we're not at church. It's just you and me, and I'm talking to you just like this. 
How awkward would that be, <laughs> right? And I'm talking to you, but I'm so passionate about this. And I look at you and say, God, listen, listen, J.D., He's already given you everything you need for Jesus' life, empowered through, and, and God is simply through knowing him. His, listen, listen, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to know the surpassing greatness of his power towards you. Like this is just, oh, let's drink our coffee again, right? Because we're drinking coffee when we're doing that. Yes, you got the mug right there. Thank you, J.D. And so we're having this conversation, and I just wonder if you think this is true theologically, and are you experiencing it? Empowered. Throughout history, Jesus and his disciples have been the topic of millions and millions of conversations. Do you realize how long Jesus' ministry lasted? It was just three years. That's not a long time. Like, I don't have the, I don't have millions of, listen, I've been in ministry a lot longer than Jesus. I was a lot, I'm a lot older than Jesus was when he died. He started ministry when he was 30. I started when I was 20 something, right? I mean, and I'm 42, 41 now, right? I'm 41. 41. No, I'm 41. I've been in a lot longer than Jesus, and there have not been millions of stories told about me, Right? There have been a few, but this, not, not millions, but Jesus and his disciples had millions of stories talk, told about them, right? Their lives have been studied, picked apart, written about in millions and millions of, of volumes of books for one reason. The uniqueness of their lives, their, their lives, right? Like there was something so profound about the life of Jesus that theologians and other world religions had to come back and figure out what to do with him. So Islam will tell you it was actually Judas who died on the cross. At least one guy told me that. I was sitting in this, this imam, whatever he was. He was sitting there teaching this group. And he says his teaching was Jesus did not die. They snuck him away in the middle of the night, put Judas on the cross because they looked alike is what this guy said. And, and then Jesus snuck away in the night. Got to do something with Jesus. And so in this, there's something, a quality of his life that's so profound. And then the life of his disciples, I mean, they die, so I call them saints. I mean, that'd be cool. Why don't they have a St. Steve's church? That'd be something a good ring to it, right? No, seriously, they call them saints. I mean, this is, there's something about their lives. There's a quality about their lives, right? Something different, something that set them apart, a fruit of their lives, I don't know about you, but when I read to the Gospels and I read to the book of Acts, I, I see lives that were empowered. There's something about them. In their lives, at one level, they express miracles, express healings. We see authority over demonic spirits again and again and again. We see the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest in their lives, the gifts of discernment. Jesus looking at this woman with a gift of discernment and saying, I see that you are married, that you don't that, go or call your husband. I'm not married. I know that, but you have other husbands, blah, 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 right? It's like, oh my gosh, how do you know these things? Because I'm just moving the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of discernment. We see these incredible gifts. And on top of that, like, you see the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit. Because let me tell you something. If Jesus had done a bunch of miracles, 
and not been nice, we wouldn't be talking about him today because no one would want to be around him. But the disciples were so drawn to him because he expressed the fullness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love emanated from him. Joy emanated from him. Peace emanated from him. Patience emanated from him. He was the full embodiment. And then his disciples are the expressing the same thing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we find that in the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples, it's not just empowering in all the fun stuff, right? The prophetic and miracles, all that. That's really cool. I mean, what really set Jesus apart is that when he is being brutally beaten, he loves his enemies. Is it harder to pray for healing and celebrate that? Or is it harder to tell your enemy that you love them when they're beating the snot out of you? You see, for me, empowerment's not just the cool stuff. It's the difficult stuff. Do you see what I'm saying in this? It's not just the gift, it's the fruit and this beautiful mixture of both. The empowerment of Jesus, the things we tell stories about, is that in the fullness of who he was, he was empowered to express the fullness of God and his gifts and the fruit all day, every day. They were empowered. They were empowered. And they lived this life. Jesus lived his life. The disciples lived this life of expressing the fullness. They were empowered to live the life that Jesus had for them. And to live godly because of their knowledge of Jesus. Empowerment is imperative. Like in our lives as Christians. Like if you're not a Christian, you're fine. You don't need any power because you don't know Jesus, right? You're just going to live your life. But if you know Jesus... The expectation, it's imperative then that we live because Jesus has in that quote-unquote expectation of our lives. Like we don't just get saved to go to heaven. We get saved to bring heaven on earth today, right? He prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's spoken in heaven. Jesus is trying to make a very clear point. Listen, I don't save you for a future kingdom. I save you for a present kingdom, and I'm looking for people to establish my kingdom. I want people empowered by my spirit in the same way that I was empowered to do the things that I did. I've already, I, think, I, can't, I didn't say it here, did I? But I said in the first service. Like you recognize, Jesus didn't do miracles. I said it before. He didn't do miracles because he was God. He did miracles because he was a human being empowered by God's spirit, by his spirit, the spirit of God. You see that Jesus did miracles, not because he was God. So we have no excuse. He did miracles because he was a human being empowered by God's spirit, his spirit. He was God. It's a beautiful piece. And so that's why he says in Acts chapter one, before his ascension into heaven, Empowerment being imperative. He goes, guys, disciples, verse 4, do not, it's imperative, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised. You wait for something. Do not leave because he recognizes how imperative it is. Verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to describe, verse 8, and when you receive 
says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So I want you to kind of put all this together. Jesus has given us everything that we need. What has he given us? Well, he told his disciples, I want you to wait for what I want to give you. I want to give you my Holy Spirit. When my Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power. And not just to be witnesses. Says, you'll receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. You'll receive power for your life. You'll receive power to express gifts. Power to express fruit. Power to express and to be Jesus, to be godly, as it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And so Jesus says, you guys, you got to wait. It's imperative. So point one this morning for us in this idea of empowerment is all disciples will be ineffective in life apart from the empowerment or from being empowered by God's spirit. All disciples. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a disciple. All of us will be ineffective in life apart from being Empowered by God's Spirit. Eddie Vitozer says this, Only what is done through the eternal Spirit will abide eternally. All else is wood, hay, and stubble. And that's so true. Unless I'm living my life empowered by God's Spirit, all the things I'm producing are wood, hay, and stubble. Jesus says, Guys, I want you to wait. Women, I want you to wait. He wanted to give them what they needed to be successful in the kingdom. Apart from receiving the Spirit, they would be ineffective. Therefore, what we could say is the gift of the excuse me, what we could say is the gift of power in the Holy Spirit isn't just a gift, it is a requirement. A requirement for effectiveness, for without it we can do nothing. We produce wood, hay, and stubble. Therefore, as Christians, followers of Jesus, his disciples, then we live with this imperative nature of understanding the Holy Spirit. Like, isn't the great tragedy of the church today that we love talking about Father? Because Father is good to us and gives us stuff. We love talking about Jesus but man, talk about the Holy Spirit. Mm, it's a little, a little creepy, crazy uncle Holy Spirit, right? We get uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. I, I had a, a, a David Eldridge, a lot of you know him, pastor at Stonebridge in our network. He was meeting with a, a pastor in his area last week or two weeks ago. And he says, Steve, I was really excited about meeting with him. He was excited about finding, hopefully finding a pastor I could connect with who was really looking, going deep in the things of God and, and really looking for, really looking for revival and transformation in our community, really kind of going after uh, the things of the spirit. And, and, and he says, so I sat down with this guy really hopeful because of the language that he had used and, and just some of the conversations that we had had and the things that he was doing. And, and all of a sudden he said, we sat there and we start talking. He goes, he says, so talk about, you know, what you're looking for, like the, in the movement, like what's your, your, your theology? What do, you, what do you think God thinks? What's your theology? What do you think God thinks about the Holy Spirit? He goes, oh, oh, well, you know, we, we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. And David just like, he says, he was crushed. And then I punched him. I'm just kidding. No, he says, I was crushed. Because how can you 
Talk about doing the things of God and have no understanding that Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to, in John, when I leave, I'm going to send another, an exact replica in my place. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I did and said while I was here on earth. Jesus says, Guys, guys, don't worry. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave myself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, he will bring power. That's what he's going to do. It's what he does. And I don't want you to be unempowered. I don't want you to be ineffective. I honestly, I just don't want you to waste your life. So I'm going to be sure I'm going to come back in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to empower you in every moment you feel disempowered or unempowered. I'm going to be there in every moment you feel alone and isolated and Holy Spirit as Jesus will be there. And I'm going to empower, I'm going to fill you. I'm going to engulf you. I'm going to move in power in you, on you, through you. I'm going to do blessings in your life through the work of the Spirit. And you're going to interact with the Holy Spirit. So when I wake up every morning, I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. How are you? Because he's residing with me. Jesus is residing with me to the word of the person of the Holy Spirit. Three in one Trinity. It's the miracle of what we believe in Christianity. And so he said, well, I'm good with Jesus. Man, be good with the Holy Spirit because Jesus is. Jesus loves talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen, people say, well, don't talk about the Holy Spirit too much. Can you talk about Jesus? Jesus loves people talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. He is the Holy Spirit. It's crazy talk, people. We have to have a theology. The Holy Spirit is near. Point two, because God's Spirit is the source of our power. Just like it was for Jesus. Acts chapter 10, 38. You, he's talking to Gentiles. These are people who've never met Jesus, had no personal interaction with Jesus. They have no knowledge, like experientially of Jesus. It says in verse 38, you know of. Like you, you know those people, you know of them. Like this thing is somebody in your neighborhood you know of. You've never actually met them, but you know all about them because gossip Susie next door has told you everything about them. You know all about them. But you ever met them, right? You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil <clears throat> for God was with him. How was God with him? Through the Holy Spirit in him. Jesus came. You, you know, when he came, he did not come, right? He did not come in his full godness. And we call it the incarnation. God with flesh on. He was a human being. If you cut him, he would have bled. If you had punched him in the belly, it would have hurt him. If when Joseph died, he probably cried, right? He was an emotional human being who experienced all that we experienced for 30 years of his life. All that we know that he did was be a carpenter. He didn't heal birds. He didn't do miracles as far as we know. He just lived his life. And then it's something... And the Holy Spirit was inside of him from the beginning. This is a great miracle. I don't understand it all, but Holy Spirit was with him. But Holy Spirit did something unique in him. In Luke, 
says he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And Luke tells us, it says, now Jesus, now full, separation, a moment of this to this, Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And then Jesus came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you think it's important to have an understanding and an experiential knowledge, not just a head knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is, and to celebrate him? And so we talk about empowerment, and it begins by talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. For God's Spirit is the source of power. Power is dunamis. This Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamic or dynamite, right? It means an inherent ability or energy that comes from a source that enables. It means an inherent ability or energy that comes from a source that, it, that enables. So leave that, that up there and think about a drill. Think about a drill, right? I had this nice eight, 18, 24, 24 volt. Let's do 24. 24 volt, massive, like, like I feel like a man holding it. You know what I mean, right? Man, like a man, women, you feel like a real woman holding it, right? Holding that drill, and you, and you have no battery connected to it. And so you go, that's your drill, like the drill, you know, right? the, the hammer drill, with your mouth. You're like, like putting it places. It's not doing anything, but you can pretend. You get a knowledge of what it can do. And you're playing, hey, watch my drill, Graham. It's doing absolutely nothing. But then you take the 24-volt massive power source, and you go, click. Right? You're like, I am a man. And that's how we stand here with the Holy Spirit, right? We are, the, the drill is defined by its potential with no battery connected to it. We are defined as human beings, followers of Jesus, by our potential until we really allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do inside of us and to move in power. But as soon as we connect and say, Jesus, I submit myself to you. Do with me as you will in humility. I want to be empowered for your purposes. All of a sudden we charge, we plug in, and all of a sudden... We realize we have everything, listen, we have all that we need pertaining to an effective godly life and godliness through my knowledge of being connected to Jesus. This is dunamis. Dunamis refers to the deeds of power, miracles, signs, and wonders, usually revolving on the works of Jesus and his disciples. It's the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the extraordinary works of God, that transcend the ordinary works of God, speaking to, to the things that are supernatural. Like Jesus says, I want you to connect to me so the supernatural becomes your natural. Like it did not surprise Jesus when people were healed, when he prayed for them. It did not surprise him that all of a sudden he had a word of knowledge about someone, like knowing something that only God knew. It didn't surprise him. He expected that. He lived in expectation of being used in this way. Humans carry this inherent ability and energy because of Jesus in us. So point three. The knowledge of Jesus opens the way for God's power in us. 
The knowledge of Jesus opens the way for God's power in us. The language of Second Peter 1 is simple yet profound. Everything we need for this Jesus-style life and godliness happens because of our knowledge of Jesus. Everything we need to live an empowered life happens because of and from our and through our knowledge of Jesus. Remember, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, that our eyes would be open to God's supernatural life, that God's surpassing greatness of God's power toward us. His power's here. His power is with us. The Holy Spirit wants to engulf us and inflame us. Knowledge in this verse. Knowledge is important in this verse to understand. Because knowledge here does not mean a mental assent to something. It means an experiential, intimate, living, personal knowledge. An intimate, personal, living, experiential knowledge. So, for example, this morning, let's say I, I held up for you a picture of me skydiving. Right? Got Buddy over here with this camera, and I'm doing the I'm doing the um, skydive pose, whatever it is, right? So, and and you, what can you? If someone says from a foreign country, man, what is this person doing, jumping out of an airplane? You can say, oh, this is skydiving. He's not trying to kill himself, right? And then you, having maybe never experienced skydiving can then sit there and describe skydiving. You can describe it. You can talk about it. You, you can explain it, right? What's happening, what they're doing, where they are. Let me tell you, as one who's jumped out of an airplane, like there's that moment you strap yourself onto another human being and you're in front of them. It's awkward. And then you like waddle over to the plane together. That's even more awkward. Then you kind of roll into the plane. That's really awkward, right? And then you sit there in the plane and you space. It looks like this like... This, like, pressurized, like, metal canister of death is what it feels like. It's, like, thin, like this, and you get up, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going up, and the plane's not doing this nice, it's, like, straight up. You're, like, right? And you start to go up, and then you get up there, and and all of a sudden you realize, maybe, like, it drops, like, 70 degrees, like, up there. It's, like, oh, my gosh, it's so cold. I'm so glad I'm not, no, I'm not glad I'm buckled to this guy. This is still awkward, right? And so this whole dynamic going down, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, okay. We're getting close. I'm like, are you sure? Right? Yes. Let's get to the door. And so we walk over the door. And and he's holding on to the door, which means you're dangling out the door. It's even more awkward. And you're like, don't do this. But he can't hear you, right? Because the door is open and wind's rushing by like 100 miles an hour. And the guy in the cockpit who's just sitting there drinking his Coke is going, yeah, man. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. As he do three barrel rolls out the door. He's like, go do a barrel roll. I'm like, what is that? And he goes, boom. He starts doing like, oh, no, it's the barrel roll of death, right? And so all of a sudden like this with her hands out and i'm like this is the worst thing ever this is so awesome i hate you this is great this whole dynamic right and you're like oh my gosh look at the ground it's getting so much closer we're gonna die right and he goes okay on three we're gonna open our parachute i'm like jesus right please open he pulls perfect stillness and quiet you're like yes Anybody else? You all made it. I was really worried about myself. I'm glad you made it too, right? And then we descend down. You see, there's something about a picture knowledge that's just pretty much lacking 
in every way possible versus the experiential, personal, intimate knowledge. Yes, so skydiving, but let's be honest, much more so Jesus. So when we talk here, the knowledge of Jesus opens up the way for God's spirit to move in us. We're talking about not just this mental knowledge, but an experiential, life-giving relationship. Because the danger, well, the danger is pretty clear. The danger is this. Those who have the theory of God's spirit down in teaching, but have no experience of it in their own personal life. Isn't that the great danger of what I call the 10-inch war? Those who have all the right theology can talk about Jesus all day long, talk about freedom, but have no freedom, talk about breakthrough, but have no breakthrough, talk about forgiveness, but have not expressed forgiveness. Who have talked about the fullness of life in Jesus, but have no real experience of the fullness of life in Jesus. The people who have a knowledge, the 10 inch war, they've given, they've gained a scent of knowledge in their mind, but no experience in their heart of breakthrough and of life. They say, yeah, I know Jesus. And what they mean is I know about him. Like, I wonder sometimes, because let me tell you something. Here, let's hear this. If you know Jesus, then you have your own language about knowing Jesus. What I mean by that is this. When you get to know Jesus, then something happens in your own relationship and you start using your own words to describe him. You stop, you, you'll still call him Lord. You'll still call him Jesus. You'll still call him holy. But you're like, you'll go, oh my gosh. It was like, I mean, it was like, like it is kind of, I was like oozing. It was like, God was so, it was like, you start, you use the word like a hundred times. But you can't quite put to words how you know him to be because you just experientially acknowledged him. It's like, no, he's so good. That's all I can say. There's something about the knowledge of Jesus that causes our words to now all of a sudden be less than what it is to describe him. And so I sit him all day long like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I know him. Like, he's awesome. Like, he's my brother. He's my bro. Like, dude, you don't know him. (laughs) I mean, you don't know him. Like, you know about him. But there's experiential knowledge. The disciples experienced it. They were undone by it. John changed his name from a son of thunder to the one whom Jesus loves. I mean, how crazy is that? He goes, I used to be, listen, guys, I don't know about you, but I had to choose between son of thunder and the one who Jesus loves. I'm going to choose son of thunder. That's just such a cooler name. But John's like, no, 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 dude. You don't understand. Like, I've experienced it. And I just like, just want to talk about it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm like, I'm the one he loves. <laughs> like, that's all I can say. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Mm. Hey, David Tozer, again, I'm going to quote him all morning. He says, many Christians spend a lot of time and energy in making excuses because they have never broken through into a real offensive for God by the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. Many persons preach and teach. Many take part in the music. Certain ones try to administer God's work. But if the power of God's spirit does not have freedom to energize all they do, these workers might as well have just stayed at home in bed. The cost of power, listen, the cost of powerlessness is profound. Service without power always causes great weariness, leads to stress, and very, very soon in burnout. It is a life lived in our own strength. It is a life creating our, uh, it's a life devoid of fruit. We're like a tree without fruit. 
For only, listen, for only God's Spirit indwelling us and empowering us can ultimately produce the fruit of the Spirit. And we, we know, the only way we, listen, the only way we can know the fruit of the Spirit ultimately is present by just what we see is because the fruit of God's presence, love, joy, peace, patience are manifest every day. How do we avoid a powerless life? It's clear and it's simple. We know Jesus. That's it. That's all we got to do. Just know him. Just know Jesus. Like, just know him. I'm talking like not picture knowledge. Not where you can play the, the, you know, the, the Bible sword game, right? And like, okay, go to Luke. Luke, Luke 4. Found it. Found it. Right? No. I don't want you to know about him. I want you to know about the Bible. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the Jesus of the Bible. Je- listen, Jesus doesn't, listen, he's not, he's not caught up on you knowing the Bible. He's caught up on you knowing him. He's happened to know him through the Bible. And so we know him. This week, I mean, literally, I'm sitting there this week, and, and I'm sitting there preparing. And I'm like, God, I know you. Like, I was sitting there in a, in a, in a braggadocious type way. Like, I know him. Like, I know Jesus. So I said, so I just sat there with my eyes closed, because I work on my computer. And I was like, all right, Jesus, over the last three months, I'm just going to kind of write down all, everything I can think of that I know, like I've, I've known about you. Like I've, I've experientially knowledged you, right? Like I, that's not really a proper English, but you know what I'm getting at. I've experientially knowledged you. I've known you. I've, I've kind of spent time with you. And this is what you kind of awakened in me. I, I, I go back to moments. I go back to instances. I, was saying, I think about the, the scripture that I read or the book that I was reading and just my time in worship and my time in prayer. So I wrote down these 15 things just real quick in about a minute. He is kind. He's not angry. Like, that was a big moment for me. Oh, God, you were so kind. You're not living angry with me. You're kind, right? He is good. He's not bad. It's an important knowledge moment for me, right? Number three, he's compassionate, not judgmental. Like, let's talk about that moment. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm feeling really bad for things that I've thought about or things that I've done, right? Or things that I've said. I felt like, oh, I was not really Jesus in that moment. Or like, oh, and God says, oh, I have compassion on your stupidity. <laughs> I'm not judging you. And it was like, he was like laughing at me like you do your child when they do something they don't mean to, but they did it anyway. And you're like, I love you. Don't do it again. <laughs> I love you. Stop that. Right? So that moment, he's like, he's compassionate, not, not judgmental. And in those same moments, He's funny. He's not just stern. Like, that's a really important breakthrough knowledge of Jesus. Like, the, he's really funny. I mean, you realize that he listens to stand-up comedians and laughs with them because he gave them their jokes? He loves good stand-up. Clean stand-up. He does, right? He is powerful, not weak. He is gracious. He's not rude. He is very deliberate he's not haphazard he is warm this is important guys this is a great moment oh god you're so warm and inviting you're not cold and distant he is clarifying not confusing he is enjoyable and not boring youth i know you're kind of all scattered because timmy's not here he's 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 enjoyable like, I wake up every day expecting to enjoy him, not be bored by him. It's an important breakthrough moment. He is near, not far away. And this is important. He's smart. He's not dumb. We act like he's dumb, don't we? Well, you should have done this, God. That's how we, we don't want really to say that. Oh, God, you sh- I, wish you, I wish you had just done, which is our way of saying, you missed it, God. Way to go. Right? 
He's smart, not dumb. He's always one step ahead, not one step behind. He is understanding. He is not insensitive. He is holy and completely other than, but not separated from us and unbelievably intimate and near. Those are the things I've learned over the last three months. In my own time with him, spending time with him. So, so let me give you one practical step this morning, okay? This is like practical, practical. It's not on the screen. It's going to tell it to you. I'm going to tell you one practical way to spend time with Jesus that's not hard, that helps you to know him. So here's what I want you to do. There are four epistles of Paul. They're all together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Georgia Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so brilliant. I made that up. Just kidding. No. So you have these four. They are like three pages long. They're not long. You read a whole, I read a whole book of the Bible this morning. Oh my gosh, so yes, three pages long, right? So I want you to read. I want you to take one of those. I don't care which one. I love Philippians because Paul's not angry. He's really happy in the book, okay? He loves the Philippians. I always go to Philippians. My favorite. When I'm having a bad day, I turn to Philippians, okay? I go to, go to one of the books, go to one of the epistles, and I want you to begin to read. And here's the thing. This is important. I want you to not read with completion in mind, but saturation in mind. Not reading for completion, I want you to read for saturation. So what it looks like for me is I'll pick up and I'll begin to read. And I'll get about two chapters in, and I realize I stopped paying attention about three verses in. Probably thinking about Georgia football. So I go, God, I'm so sorry. This, thank you for Lambert actually completing the passes yesterday. That was awesome. I apologize. Help us win the next game. Now I'm going to go back to where I, so where I, caught, where I missed it, okay? Okay, verse 2, right? Go back here and start reading again. And you know what I do? I read until I find a verse that kind of like jumps out, like a little spark of interest, something like, hmm, hmm, right? What's that verse right there, right? And so I look at the verse, and I look at it, and I read it. And then I read it again, and I read it real slow. And then I say, Jesus, I'm going to read it again. This time as I read it, would you awaken to me every thought that you have about it? Holy Spirit, would you empower me to understand what you're saying? And so I read it. This week it was Second Peter. In his divine his divine power. Oh, God, your power is divine. It's massive. It's huge. Your divine power has given us everything. Everything. Nothing lacking. Fully complete. Your divine power has, is perfect. Has given us everything according to life. The abundant life. You've given me everything to live the life that you've called me to live. You've given me everything according to life and godliness. Let's just be, this is my prayer. This was my prayer this week. I'm really taking, this is exactly what my, is press pause. I'm just telling you what my prayer time looked like. This is what it looked like with Jesus. If my, if my kids had come down, they'd have heard me having this conversation with Jesus. I'm just taking in my quiet time, my time with Jesus. Okay. I said, God, let's be honest. 
Let's be honest. Godliness does not necessarily equal Steve this week. Let's go back to those moments, right? I can feel it. I know you did too. I was kind of missing it over here. I walked in with this umpire at the East Paulding game, and I wanted to rip his throat out, Jesus, because he missed the call. The coach, I wanted to bring the elbow because he was not being very nice, whatever it may be, right? That's a true story too. I was Jesus to him, though. I want you to know I was humble, chose it in the moment. Bless me. No, in this moment, I'm like, God, you saw my heart. You saw the motivations of my heart. You saw that I praise you, Jesus, that through your spirit, you are changing me and growing me into godliness. Through the gift that I have of knowing you. Jesus, and I prayed this prayer, God. This is my prayer yesterday morning. It's on the front porch. And I prayed this prayer. God, would you awaken me to the riches that I have in Christ so that everything in this world looks absolutely worthless? And I prayed that prayer about 15 minutes until my beautiful bride came out into the front porch. And then I stopped and fully engaged her. I said the first service, I was sad she came out, but glad at the same time. You ever had that moment, people, when you spend time with Jesus, someone walks in, you're so sad they came, but you're glad they came? Because in that, it kind of breaks up what you have with Jesus. Not really breaks, you know what I mean? Like, like you're like, like I was having this, like, when you have a deep conversation, and someone comes in, like, hey, guys, what's up? Like, hey, man, I'm so glad you're here now. We'll finish later, Right? That's what it was. And, and I was like, so I just, even that, we left, we went up to the, we went hiking at Red Top Mountain yesterday and we were walking and the girls were running ahead and Anna Catherine's like a gazelle. Like, daddy, run with me. I'm like, I'm praying right now. And I was like, I'm so out of shape. I'm not going to run. And so, you know, we're up there and I'm, and I'm praying the whole time I'm walking. God, awaken me to the riches that I have in you because I want everything else to pale in comparison to the knowledge of Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you begin to actually know Jesus, like experientially have this rich depth with him where you actually find yourself expressing love for enemies as they are officially persecuting you and throwing you into the bus and slandering your name. And you just want to pray for them and love them because Jesus has been godless and godless and is so formed inside of you because of the, this work of the Holy Spirit in your life, empowering you to do the miracles and to do the fruit type stuff. And in that moment, right, and you know him because you're so aware. Aware of the riches of his power and of his goodness and of his love for you. You have this experiential reality of knowing the depths of Jesus. Then all of a sudden, when you see someone who's sick, you're like, I know what God can do. I want you to have it. I want to pray for miracles and healing. Because that's what he does. Because he loves us. Because he is so near to us. I just can't. I know, man. You just like totally, just like literally punched me. And I'm really angry on this part of me over here. But this part's gotten so big, I just, I just want to tell you that I love you and I know that you hate me, but I love you in your hating. And I want you to know Jesus in the way that I just want you to know him because he's so good. Bam, I know. It's like, but I want you to know it because it's so 
can I just pray for you, right? Like, I want to experience, I want to express, I want the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus, listen, to naturally have this happen in my life. And the only way it naturally happens where the Holy Spirit empowers us in fullness is when we have such a full, intimate personal and experiential knowledge of Jesus that you say, I'm no longer a son of thunder. I am the one God loves most. And you are too, and you are too, and you are too. This is what he wants to get us to. Empowerment is not me sitting here giving you some cool Holy Spirit stories say, now go do it. Woo! No, it's say, humble yourself. Die to yourself. Ask God to help you because you can't die to yourself in your own strength. You need help and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Help me to know you because I know that I can. And so this week, would you just go read for the purpose of saturation? Do you know, like, here's the deal. I want you to hear this. This is a true statement. God is not caught up on you reading the whole Bible. He's caught up in the Bible just getting in you. And if you read one chapter, listen, there's a guy named Motyer who studied, he's a theologian who studied only Isaiah for like the last 50 years of his life. Do you know whose book I like to read on Isaiah? His. Because he got with Jesus and said, Holy Spirit, lead me. You should hear the story behind it. It's amazing. He just Got it in him. He studied Isaiah for, that's all he studied. He wants saturation. Steve, I, is it okay if I just like read one, like one chapter for the entire year from Philippians? It's, it's awesome. Yes, 100%. God's more worried about saturation than completion. If you get one whole chapter of Philippians in you rather than just the mental knowledge of a whole Bible, this saturation, listen, that doesn't mean you should, don't hear me say, oh, Steve says I shouldn't read the whole Bible. So no, I'm saying, you know what I'm getting at. Please, swim between the lines in that. He wants you to saturate you, get in, to know him. And when it happens, and all of a sudden you have that awakening and God begins to move, there's an empowerment that happens in your sicknesses, an empowerment that happens in your difficulties, an empowerment that happens in your hardships. An empowerment happens in every day, every moment of every life. And you begin to see, like, I just can't keep the power of God from flowing. So let me say this to you as so I'm going to end. So I said the first service. I grew up in the good Baptist, Southern Baptist setting. And they said a very true statement. They said, you need to spend time with Jesus. And they, and they created that. We've created this thing called our quiet time. Let's just be honest. I don't even like the phrase. I'm going to have my quiet time. Because that's what we're going to do. I don't, I don't pray like that when I pray to Jesus. Right? I wanted to move. I pray out loud. I mean, we get a little rambunctious, Jesus and I, in my, in my prayer time. Right? I'm really aware when the kids are there not to go to him. Because they're like, Daddy, what's going on, Daddy? Right? It's kind of distracting. But, man... When I'm praying, it's like a little rambunctious. And so I'll tell you what, if you want to, I want to release you from having your quiet time. And I want to release you into having your empowerment time. Like, I don't care. Listen, if you like the drill analogy, then you go buy some, like, butt 
forming seat. So when you stick yourself into it, it feels like you're literally plugging yourself into a drill. I could care less, but hit something. So when you sit with Jesus, I am coming to be with you, to be empowered, to know you, to love you, to experience you in your fullness. I may be quiet at the same time. I'm only quiet to be empowered in knowing you and loving you and experiencing the fullness of who you are, God, so that when I am squeezed like toothpaste, fruit and the gifts come flowing out. And I'm telling you, it's going to require your responsibility. It's going to require you being with Jesus, not for the purpose to earn something, but for the purpose of falling in love with him and knowing him. And it begins simple. It's not hard to read one chapter for the next week. That's not hard. I'm not going overboard in that. Shoot, I don't care if you read and just read one verse all week. That's even fine too. As long as it saturates you. And Jesus begins to awaken it until all of a sudden you realize, I know him. Be honest with yourself this morning about where you are and your knowledge of Jesus. If you, if you can't, don't defend yourself. They'll go, well, I mean, Steve, blah, 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 blah. And really what you're saying is I'm afraid to say I have an area of growth. Just be honest and say, Jesus, that. Steve just said, that's what I want. I am really bad at getting there. I'm asking for grace. Your ability when I have no ability, I'm asking for grace. Your ability when I have no ability to get there. Help me. I commit to be with you this week, and I'm going to read until you stop me because I want to hear you and I want to saturate me. Questions again, in, in this morning, in this week, asking yourself every day, what is God saying and how do I respond? Those are our two questions this entire two and a half months. What is God saying and how do I respond? Let's pray.